When you're an American Express Platinum Card member, don't be surprised if you say things like, Chef, what course are we on? I've, I've lost count. Or, Shoot that, shoot that! And even, Checkout's not until 4, so... Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants, elevated experiences at live events, and 4 p.m. late checkout at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Don't live life without it. Terms apply. Busy weekends are a breeze with American Express Platinum Card. 8 a.m., wait to board plane in the Centurion Lounge. <sighs> Much better. 2 p.m., grab seats for the game. Ah! 6 p.m., book an exclusive reservation with Resi Global Dining Access. Right this way. Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to the Centurion Lounge, must-see live events, and exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Don't live life without it. Terms apply. Welcome to the Hangtime Podcast. I'm your host, Seku Smith. In the bubble finally made my way to Orlando uh, trying to transition into the green zone the hot spot where today's guest Jared Greenberg has been rock star the ultimate sideline reporter with the best walk-off interviews after these games that anybody's seen it's been a, a wild time in the Orlando bubble Jared Thanks for taking some time and uh, and joining me finally. I don't know. I guess I had to call the higher-ups to get you on the Hangtime Podcast. It's been forever. I mean, what's the deal? Sekou, I've been trying for years to get on this podcast, and you <laughs> finally gave me a call to get on this one. I am uh, I'm excited to join you. I love listening to you and Shu and all your other guests that you have on. It's been fun down here, my man. I'm excited for you to finally get in what we call the inner bubble. <laughs> <laughs> How many days total has it been for you and where are you at on your arc of surviving this day? Not that anybody's counting, but today is day 41 <laughs> for me. And if I'm doing my math right, and I think you know that I can't really do math all that well. Uh, <laughs> I, am, I am almost at the halfway point of my stay. Wow. Um, we've heard like LeBron be the most public about this stuff and certainly other players. I, I think everybody's had what, what we've deemed some new phrases down here and, and you'll eventually get this once you get in inside the green zone here uh bubble fatigue hmm. uh i think i think you have that now listen i don't want people to think i'm complaining about this because i gotta be honest like i'd be the first person to complain about things when things are not going right i am stunned how the nba and disney world have exceeded my expectations for what this looks and feels like on a daily basis there's really not much more they could have done it's just the fact that we're isolated from the world, from our loved ones. For me, it's for three straight months, you know? Yeah. And this is coming off of being attached to the hip with my <laughs> wife in our condo for four straight months, right? Right. So my first year of marriage here, Seku, I go from <laughs> I go from, you know, traveling once a week for a couple months to do games on TNT to the pandemic hits. We're locked in our condo in Atlanta for four straight months. And then I leave her for three straight months. Yeah. All while I'm supposed to be on my honeymoon. So that doesn't, that wow. doesn't bode too well, <laughs> but no, I mean, it's, there is some bubble fatigue. There is some itching here, but I gotta be honest, man, like this setup is amazing. And I feel like I'm living my dream here because just every day it's just hoop. It's just hoop. And it's the highest level. Like we couldn't have asked more from the players too. And that, that, that's, that's what I think gave me a little trepidation about this was like, I don't want to come down here 
and be locked in here for three months and watch bad basketball, watch out of shape guys who weren't committed to being here. There is no doubt in my mind that these guys got themselves in great shape or kept themselves in great shape and really want to win each night. And that's, that's been a lot of fun to be a part of. I think the unique thing as well, Jared, is you get a chance to not just bird dog one series in this bubble. You get to see all of it all the time. You had what I think is one of the greatest post-game interviews I've ever seen with Jamal Murray the other night. Jamal Murray, your coach told us before the game that this week has been an emotional roller coaster. How did you carry over the momentum from an explosive game four, game five, and then put everything else aside that happened this week and go out and drop 50 in a must-win game tonight? I just want to win. And in life, you find things that hold value to you, find things to fight for. And we found something worth fighting for as an NBA, as a collective unit. You have a picture of George Floyd on your right shoe here. You got Bianca Taylor. Why, why has this been so personal for you, Jamal? Because it's not just in America, it happens everywhere. And, you know, it doesn't take one meeting, it takes a couple meetings, a few meetings. It takes phone calls, it takes resistance. It's not going to take one night, and we've been doing trying to fight for 400 years. But these shoes give me life. Unbelievable, you know, expression of, of his feelings and, and emotions after a, a wild game where he went for another, you know, another ridiculous showing for him against the Utah Jazz. But I'm curious, when you're in the midst of that thing, and, and you know this better than a lot of people because there's only a handful of people that are doing these interviews, that are having to catch guys in that moment, in an unprecedented season, in this strange environment. What's your strategy when you're doing that in terms of knowing when to back off and let a guy talk and when to press? You've had a couple of, you had some great ones with Dame Lillard. Um, you, you know, you've had a bunch of really interesting exchanges with these guys uh, in that moment, man. What, what's going through your head when you're doing it? And, and how are you trying to make sure that you allow them to say what they need to say and you're getting what you need for the viewers? You know, I, I've tried the last several months to really be a better listener, you know, and I think that's what a lot of people need to do. And I'm not here to preach to anybody. I'm just, you know, telling you what, what I think has been best for me. Um, and I think it's feeling a moment and it's listening to people and it's, you know, catching a vibe and going with it, you know, this is about the player and this is not, it's not about me. You know, it's, it's about, it's about what they feel is right for them at that moment. And me kind of backing away from it. You know, I, I put a lot of effort into my preparation. Um, and I, throughout the course of the day, building up to these games, I'm really thinking about what direction I could possibly go because what the ramifications of a win is for whatever team. Right. And, I also think, too, there's only, if, if we want to be real about the conversation, there's only X number of guys on each team that I'll probably get in what we call the walk-off interview after the game, right? Right. Like, if, if I'm doing a Laker-Clipper game, I know it's probably only going to be one of four guys. It's going to be Kawhi or Paul George or LeBron or Anthony Davis. Listen, there, there is a possibility something wild happens, and it's Marcus Morris or it is Danny Green or Kyle Kuzma, but for the most part, so I really try and start thinking and making sure I have the proper background, right? Making sure that I, I have all that information. And then it's feeling the game out, 
And then it's knowing the player after the game. The the interesting part about Jamal Murray is, what is he, 23, 24? Um, I've interviewed him before, but I really haven't had that many exchanges with him. Mm-hmm. And I had not come across him at all in the bubble um, prior to the other night. And the crazy thing is, is that, like, there are some guys who I know, even if I ask a basketball question, they're, they want to go to social justice. They want to go to racial justice. They, they want to go in, in that direction. Fine. And, and I've always said to you, and I think you're on the same page with me, you know, these guys are contractually obligated to do an interview with us. They're not contractually obligated to answer in any specific way. They can right. go any direction they want. If I say, why is the sky blue? And they want to start talking about, you know, why they love to eat eggs in the morning. That, that That's fine. You know? Right. Um, so with Jamal, I, I really didn't have that good of a feel for him because I don't know him that well. So I took what I had in conversations with Michael Malone, his head coach, earlier in the day about what a great leader he has been. He's one of the, the player reps. He has been um, integral in, in the leadership of that, that group. He's, you know, for a team that doesn't have a veteran vocal leader, he has been a young vocal leader. And coming off of scoring what do you have 50 and 40 something, and then had to wait a week to play. I was simply asking him, how did he compartmentalize all of this and go with his back up against the wall in a must win game and go out and put 50 up against Donovan Mitchell. And truth be told, I thought he was just out of breath when he started to not answer fluidly and he put his hands on his knees and it wasn't until he came up off of his hands up on his knees that he looked me in the eye and I could tell his eyes were uh, swollen up and, and he, this was emotionally hitting him. I don't want to interview guys. This is a conversation. And so, you know, the, the whole COVID thing is always ever present in our mind. And they're very strict about me wearing a mask and me being six feet away from whoever I'm interviewing. But like, I wanted to go like, give the guy a hug. <laughs> and so I couldn't do that. So I was just like, you know, what's, what's going on, Jamal? Like, you okay? I started to sense he wanted to say something. If I sensed we were prying too much, I would have let him go. I, I would have said, this is not appropriate. But I felt like there was something he wanted to get out. And I knew the shoes were a big deal because I knew he was wearing them for the last couple of games. So it was really refreshing to see a guy allow us to see him at his most vulnerable moment and to allow us in to talk about something that's more important than just basketball after he just played the greatest game he's ever played. Have you changed your mind at all in terms of what you think leads to a Larry O'Brien trophy for whoever's going to get it? No, but but I don't think it's it's really about the bubble because I think the bubble kind of neutralizes everything for everybody. Like mm-hmm. everybody is equally affected. I just think this year was weird to begin with. And that's, that's why also on March 11th, when we announced on, on NBA TV that the season was being shut down, I was so upset because I was so much looking forward to the playoffs yeah. because I felt like we were a couple of weeks away from one of the most unpredictable playoff runs we'd ever seen. And I think a lot more people, and I, I was on board with this too, thought we'd have more first round upsets Yes. And we would have, I mean, the biggest upset we possibly have is, you know, this, this Denver, uh, Utah beating Denver, which is not that big of an upset when you think about it in a three, six matchup, but the three teams that, that people have put up there, the two LA teams in Milwaukee, they all have obvious major flaws. And the other issue though, is that like the other teams, like I, I was high on Boston coming into this thing, to be mm-hmm. honest with you. I just I, I thought Jason Tatum had taken a step that people most people didn't recognize the step he had taken. Sure. 
but like there's obvious flaws with Boston too, right? I'm still buying the Clippers. That that's mm. that's my thing. I still I from the beginning of the season I was in on the Clippers, the middle of the season I was in on the Clippers. I'm in on the Clippers now. The issue I have with the Clippers, and they got away with it, I think, against Dallas because Dallas got so banged up with Porzingis and Doncic having injuries and, and the lack of depth that, that Dallas has, truthfully. Mm-hmm. But the Clippers all season long have had this attitude of, we'll be able to flip the switch. And at times in that Dallas series, it feels like they walked into the room, the lights were off, and they could not figure out which wall the light switch was on. <laughs> they and the Lakers obviously have been every the teams everybody has kind of pointed to, but they both obviously can't compete for a championship. The East, you mentioned Boston. I've been high on Miami since going down there in December and spending a week down there and watching them operate. They They obviously pull off the game one win over Milwaukee, a a team that's had its share of issues. Um, With the absence of the dynamic of having to go back and forth and and home court being what it used to mean, but what it doesn't here, have you sensed that the talent has flattened out somewhat in terms of there aren't any super teams with three superstar players like we've grown accustomed to in recent years. Everybody has – two superstars or two bona fide stars, yeah. all-stars, whatever, and then a, a supporting group. Do you think this is one of those years like Detroit in 04 maybe um, where you could have a champion that isn't built on the superstar model we're used to? Yeah, I think I think anything's possible this year, right, Zeku? Um, I think one thing important to note about Miami, the biggest question I got heading into the bubble here, and I'm sure you got this a ton, was – what team has the advantage in this environment? And I don't think any of us really knew. Is it a young team? Is it a veteran team? I don't know that we have the answer to that yet, but I do think we, we know something. The teams that are able to just lock in on basketball and are okay with the fact that there's not a lot of other distractions, which I think a lot of players sometimes and people want in their life, they want to be able to go out to restaurants. They want to be able to go to clubs. They want to be able to go hang out with their family or their friends or, you know, go shoot a commercial, or go rub elbows with celebrities. The teams that are cool with not doing that stuff and just making it about basketball 24-7, those teams have the edge here. It was funny. On Mamba Day, Frank Vogel was asked, how would Kobe react here in the bubble? Mm. And Frank Vogel laughed and goes, he would love it here. Because all it is is basketball. Listen, there's a couple of activities you can do, but you can't get away from basketball here. And I think a team like the Miami Heat and their culture, with it, which I think we often make into a cliche, and I've started mm-hmm. asking a lot of guys, like I had a really cool conversation with Andre Iguodala the other day about what that Heat culture is, and it's about accountability, and it's about guys you know, communicating with one another and accepting roles, pulling for one another. And understanding, you know, that it's about winning for the team. Like, it's starting to make a lot of sense in here why the Heat are having success. And I think there are some other teams. There's some other guys here. And and not to say that the Heat don't have guys like this on their team. I, I don't think we could paint with a broad brush. But there are guys, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with this. I think mm-hmm. everyone's a human being. So this is okay. I'm just pointing out my observation. 
there are some guys on teams who just don't want to be here anymore. And again, there's nothing wrong with that, but this is a difficult, uncomfortable situation. And I think it's potentially negatively affecting the performance of guys on the court because they're so uncomfortable being here. Mm. That's, that's interesting because you, then you start to break down each and every guy and their performance and you wonder how much of it is what you're talking about yeah. and how much of it is just the nuance of basketball. You don't make every shot every night. You're not going to have your best yep. every night. If there's one player that you can think of, maybe that's not an obvious player, but somebody that you've maybe gotten a better appreciation for their game having watched it in, in these past few weeks, who might it be on all these teams? Maybe one guy that's just Maybe, you know, not somebody that you pinpointed going in or circled his name thinking, let me watch him, but who stood out to you in terms of just how well he's playing the game or how he's vibing in this environment. I know you said not like the obvious guys, but like this Donovan Mitchell, Jamal Murray thing is is unbelievable. Mm -hmm. I just think those guys um, are so locked in right now and, and playing such great basketball. I just think what they're doing one-on-one against one another, and I know the game has evolved, and the three-point shot, the pace of the game has kind of allowed for this to happen, but dude scores 50 multiple times in a playoff series. I'm not going to discount that because it's 2020, you know? Yeah. So I just think those guys have, have proven that they can step up. You know, you think about it, like Jamal Murray maybe didn't have the greatest playoff run last year, but he had some really big moments against the San Antonio Spurs to help the Nuggets get out of that seven game series in the first round last year. So like, this is a, a build towards, I think something even bigger and, and more special. And, and the crazy part is that like with Jamal Murray, he's supposed to be the second best player on his team. Right. If the nuggets are to get to the West finals or get to the NBA finals, it's supposed to be on the back of Jokic. We barely even mentioned Jokic's <laughs> name. Like he's the MVP candidate each year, not, not Murray. How often does this happen in the NBA that after a playoff series, we change the order of the hierarchy on who's the best player on a team. Like, could we come out of this going into next season, whenever it begins thinking that the Denver Nuggets best player is Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic is their second best player. Like when, when does that happen in the NBA? Yeah. I want to mention Chris Paul here real quick because I've been a big critic of Chris Paul in particular, you know, two things we talk about with Chris Paul, not winning in, in big playoff games or, or playoff series and his injuries. Mm-hmm. And what this dude has done with this team this year has been unbelievable. And, you know, I had a conversation with B- Billy Donovan about Chris Paul, and, and he told me, I, I shared this on the broadcast last night, that Chris Paul came to Donovan late last summer when most people thought that Chris Paul was not long for the Thunder, he was going to be traded. And maybe he would have. Let's call a spade a spade. I don't think the Thunder could have traded him at that point. But he came to Billy Donovan and said, I'm not a half-in, half-out type of guy. If I'm here, I'm here to win, and I'm here to make this happen. And he has not only gotten his body right, but he's also mentored and he's fully invested in the growth of these young guys. So he's been both the veteran leader, but also talking the talk and walking the walk on the court with his play. He's been the most clutch player in the NBA this year. And we saw it again last night in game six to force game seven. Mm -hmm. He was sensational. And listen, you know, you want to throw in all the other stuff he's got to deal with off the court, which is a big role as a Players Association president, like to compartmentalize and balance all of that and just go play basketball. You know, what he has done, 
another thing that we're going to be doing whenever the offseason hits and going into next season is there's going to be a lot of teams who never would have touched the contract of Chris Paul because of the amount of money in years left that might be willing to give the Thunder if they're willing to part ways with him. I mean, they may want to keep him, sure. right, for all we know. But there's going to be a bunch of teams that we hear about that say, holy cow, Chris Paul did that with the Thunder after they <laughs> traded two cornerstone players and got them into the playoffs and maybe even got them out of the first round? Yeah, yeah. We'll pay that salary and we want him on our team. We'll give up whatever it takes to get him. So I think that's another guy that deserves mentioning. Our evaluations of a lot of these players, Jared, I think will be different coming out of this season. And it, it might have been that way no matter what. It might have been that way if we didn't shut down on March 11th. And, and if we didn't have the global pandemic to deal with and all these yeah. other extenuating circumstances. The other component, and you mentioned it, the social justice stance that so many guys have taken the season being on the brink a week ago Wednesday everybody wondering if we're going to continue to play or not what's your sense of how this all changes in that lane in terms of this isn't the players clearly want this to be something that the league is focused on long past this experience this this bubble experience have you gotten a sense from the players and I know you've been around you've talked to these guys and covering all this stuff, that there's a real concrete form that the players want this initiative to take once we're removed from this environment, once we're removed from this moment right now where it's, everything is so fresh on the minds of everybody. Millionaire players, professional athletes get criticized from both angles, right? They get the people who say, shut up and dribble, or we just want to hear you talk about sports. We don't want to hear you talking about that. And then they get it from the other side, which is, well, you've got deep pockets. Why aren't you doing more for your community, right? Like, and I think the players ultimately are saying, listen, we're, we're the millionaire players, but the people who pay our salaries are billionaires. And those billionaires have a lot of influence over community and political leaders. So can we bridge the gap to have those conversations. And that's what I'm hearing a lot of. And I think I think a lot of that will start to happen. But I also think what's been really cool here, and I've heard this from multiple teams, mm-hmm. they are so impressed with not just the collective group of players who are interested and invested in having a voice, but the profile of the players who are having a voice and invested in making a change. Chris Paul told a story about Darius Baisley the other day. Mm-hmm. You know, what is he, 21, 22 years old at most, who has become a player rep and was the one of two players with Chris Paul to go to that smaller meeting mm-hmm. that they had after the bigger meeting. And Chris Paul had to stay an hour late after the meeting with all of the player reps and the board of governors. And all the other player reps had to leave. Darius Baisley waited outside the room for Chris Paul to get done because he was so interested in learning more from what just went down. And I think that shows that there's a bright future with this young group more than just their talents on the court. And I think that's been really cool. Everyone's still trying to figure it out. I don't think anybody has concrete answers. I just think everyone wants the ability to know that we're still going to work towards something, right? And I think some of the players, not to speak for everyone, but some of the players, if they're not going to be allowed to get out into their communities, to have their boots on the ground and physically touch their friends and family, 
and they're going to be here isolated from the rest of the world, they want to know that they can actually have the ability to affect tangible change. And give you an example from the Lakers, after LeBron and a bunch of the Lakers raised the big stink and had some meaningful conversations, the next day, the next day, Staples Center was turned into a voting center for the general presidential election on November 3rd. Right. The next day. Like those are things that are tangible ways to affect change. And I think to know that that's still going to happen and it's to have conversations. You know, the, uh, the Utah Jazz had a Zoom call with the lieutenant governor of Utah, the mayor of Salt Lake City, the police commissioner and other local officials. And it was just like exchanging of ideas and getting to know one another. And like, that's the type of stuff that's happening out of this. And it's not going to necessarily stop these police shootings or stop racism or save racism. But I don't think anybody's foolish enough to think that all of that stuff gets fixed overnight. There's just got to be conversations and working towards a plan where, yeah, these guys who do have deep pockets are willing to reach into them and help, but they have to know how. And the police have to know where these guys are coming from and the politicians and the local leaders. And I think all of that's starting to happen. And it's not perfect, but I think we're working towards something. Yeah. And, and that's, I think that's all you can ask for at this point. Jerry Greenberg, TNT sideline reporter extraordinaire, in addition to all his other duties hosting at NBA TV, um, a voice for the league, really. I mean, amplified some serious messages about what's going on down here and illuminating it for people at home. I got to be honest, it's been it's been interesting for me watching from afar and not being up close because I understand the difficulty that it must be for you guys who have been down here this long. That that bubble fatigue you're talking about. I won't yeah. I don't think I'll be here long enough to get bubble fatigue, but you'll uh, be surprised. <laughs> <laughs> but but I'm I'm glad to finally get down here and, and get boots on the ground myself and uh, dig in. You listen you have a standing invitation to come back on the Hang Time Podcast wow. next year to argue about the MVP letter, which I yes. know is one of your favorite pastimes. You know, I, I know that this is something you take a lot of pride in, and I take <laughs> a lot of pride each Friday to read the list on NBA.com and to rip it to shreds. <laughs> <laughs> My man, Jerry Greenberg, appreciate you, sir. I will see you in a few days somewhere in, in the hot zone. Good luck in your quarantine. Let me know if you need anything, and uh, behave yourself while you're in your quarantine. I'll do my best, man. Appreciate it. You're getting the most out of being at a game with American Express. The card member entrance, the lounge, and out tip-off. See how to elevate your live sports experience at AmericanExpress.com slash with Amex. Don't live life without it. Eligible American Express card required. Benefits vary by card and by venue. Terms apply. An epic matchup between your two favorite teams, and you're at the game getting the most from what it means to be here with American Express. You breeze through the card member entrance, stop by the lounge. Now it's almost tip-off, and everyone's already on their feet. This is going to be good. See how to elevate your live sports experience at AmericanExpress.com slash with Amex. Don't live life without it. Eligible American Express card required. Benefits vary by card and by venue. Terms apply.